Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Heavenly Father, our hope is in you. Now, we're flawed people when we say that, and we honestly admit that this world attacks that hope. Circumstances undermine that hope. Sometimes even our best friends kind of undercut that hope as they look at life far more realistically than we do. Father, our hope is in you. It's the only place to place our hope, Father, Son, and Spirit. May 100% of our hope be there. May we not hold out in any backup plan at all. For Father, how you bless, how you reward those whose hope is in you. And now, Father, here's a very particular hope in my heart this morning that your word would speak to us. That I would not get in the way, that I would not mess it up, that I would not make it less clear than it was intended to be. But that, Father, the people in this room and the people in many other places who watch and listen to this message right now would find in it hope incredible, Hope that will sustain them. Hope that they can share with those who have no or little hope. And we trust your Holy Spirit to accomplish this. And I ask you for that in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. So, let's put our hope to work. That's what we've been doing for eight weeks now. We've been identifying specific hope that is given to us in the scripture, specific things out there in the future that God says is definitely going to happen so we can put our hopes in those things. They are going to happen. And we've identified a number of them through the last few months, but what we've been seeking to do the last few weeks is to say, how can we actually put these hopes that we have that God has revealed to us, how can we put them that aren't here yet and may not even get here in our lifetime, how can we put them to work in our lifetime, in our day-to-day walk? Is there a way way that we can deploy, put into action a reality that is not here yet? And that's what we've been seeking to do, because that's the kind of hope that can also anchor us and energize us and just help us serve the Lord in marvelous ways. And, and so that practice, deploying hope, putting our hopes to work, it can bring the future and a hoped-for future into the present. It can even work in just practical, ordinary ways. And let me give you this example just so we can kind of get our minds wrapped around the the process here. For instance, 
Somebody who is working on a job can say this. I'm hoping that someday I will have a management position at my work. And so every day I put that hope to work by viewing my work through the eyes of a manager. I seek to benefit my boss and his company by everything that I do. I continually look for ways to improve my performance as an employee. I'm putting the hope that someday I'm going to be entrusted with a portion of this company as a manager. I'm going to act like I'm already looking at things that way. I'm going to put that hope to work. You see, putting a hope like that to work can bring great dividends and could possibly, and in fact very likely, lead to the promotion that is hoped for. Now, similarly, all the future hopes that we have as Christians can be put to work in the present and can bear dividends as well. At least that's the premise we've been operating on for the past eight weeks. Today... I would draw your attention to a ninth hope, a ninth future event that the Bible depicts as surely happening one day, an event that generates hope in our hearts, or at least it should, an event that God himself will oversee and orchestrate. It's an event whose character and impact can be put to work in our lives right now. So here it is. My hope discovered, the ninth one, this week's. We find it in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It says, when he opened the sixth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. We've read this before. This is a key coming event in the life of the church of Jesus Christ. John goes on, they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. That's a, that's a coming event. It's been identified, discovered. It's in the word of God. No doubt about it. Here's how I would define it for us, though. That is, this is how I would try to expand or broaden it into more general terms. That is how we can establish the category of actions to which this hope belongs. There could be a lot of different ways that that hope can be applied to our life today. And so here's how I'm defining that hope for us in terms of our own lives. My hope defined. There is coming a day when all those who have suffered for Christ will be vindicated. Now, John just saw those who've been killed for Christ and killed during the tribulation. And their souls are under the altar and they're awaiting the return of the Lord and the judgment upon the earth and a very specific thing. But there's a dynamic here. Let me just broaden it a little bit, as we did. There's coming a day when all those who have suffered for Christ will be vindicated. Do you believe that's true? 
Do you think God would let anyone suffering for Christ just go unmentioned? Unacknowledged? Or is our Heavenly Father the one that says, I was there, I saw that. I was pleased with you when, when you endured that for my name's sake and for the sake of my son. They will be vindicated. Now here's three words just kind of defining vindication that we're going to hear a little bit later on and through the morning. Vindicated, exonerated, made clear of any charge, determined to be innocent and right, exonerated, celebrated. Actually, people saying, well done, and getting excited about what you have done and commemorated. Maybe have their name on the wall. People say, who is that? Who is that? Some churches, you know, actually sell seats and so forth. And Betty, I'm looking over at you. I guess say, there could come a day where your name is right on a seat. And they say, you know, 50 years from now, who, who's that? Oh, Betty Dawson. Let me tell you about Betty Dawson. She sat in that chair, I don't know how many years. Faithful person, part of our core group from the very beginning. See, there's a commemoration. Even though some of Betty's neighbors right where she lived might say, I don't understand why she gets up and drives off to church every Sunday. Good grief. Hasn't she outgrown that by now? See, but there's coming a day. There's coming a day when everyone, all those who have suffered for Christ in any way, will be vindicated. And that means they will be exonerated, especially if they've been accused of something. They will be celebrated, even if at the time they thought nobody noticed. And they will be commemorated. They will be remembered for the very life they lived. Now, for all who have suffered in some way or another because of their witness and service for Christ, that is surely a hopeful thought. And it's directly based upon the revelation that John the Apostle has passed along to us. There is indeed coming a day when such suffering, the most extreme example being martyrdom, will be avenged or to use our term today, vindicated. That is, recognized and honored by the Lord himself. Those who experience such things will be exonerated and celebrated and commemorated. Now, I believe that's a hope that can actually stabilize us during times of challenge. It can energize us to keep us moving forward in our commitment to Christ. Anyone experiencing suffering or persecution or perhaps even facing death because of their faith in Christ can be stabilized and energized to continue because of that very hope. Now, it's a hope that each of us should have tucked away in our hearts. It should be tucked away in our hearts. It should be in our minds. We should be aware of it. We should be able to tell others about it. We should know there's a day coming when... But how can we deploy it right now? How can we put that hope and the energy it can create to work in our lives right 
now, today. Of course, if I, if you, are being persecuted or ridiculed for our faith or for the actions that arise from it right now, if that's our current circumstance, then we can apply this hope directly to our own lives. We can put our hope in the fact that there's coming a day when these very actions of mine will lead to the Father's vindication on that day when he says, well done. I noticed. Well done, good and faithful servant. But how do I put this hope to work? How do I deploy it if I'm not in such a spot? Nobody's picking on me. Nobody's ridiculing me for being a Christian. Nobody is persecuting me. My life isn't on the line. But I become aware of other believers who are. They might be right where I work. They might be right in my school. They might be right in my neighborhood. They might be right in my own family. And I discover there are fellow believers coming under a certain attack. Being persecuted. Being mocked. Being ridiculed. Being denied opportunity because their life belongs to Jesus Christ and they live like it. So how do we deploy this? Well, here's my suggestion for you. You have it in your box there in front of you. My hope deployed. Since there is coming a day when all those who have suffered for Christ will be vindicated, I will seek to exonerate and celebrate and commemorate all those who have so suffered, and we could add that I become aware of. I will seek to exonerate and celebrate and commemorate all those believers who are under the gun in that way right now. How do you exonerate a Christian who has acted like a Christian and caught flack for it? Maybe lost a job over it. Maybe just been blackballed or, or in some ways... Uh, uh, ridiculed because they are living for Christ and following biblical principles in their life. How do you exonerate them when, when others are uh, condemning them? What can you say? Well, here's a thought. You can come up to them if it's a friend of yours, a fellow church member, someone you become aware of even in the circumstance to just say what you have done is noteworthy and good. What you have done is noteworthy and good. It was not wrong or foolish or insignificant. Now, I don't want to go too far on this, but let me just make this comment. Every one of us in this room today could be mocked, ridiculed for being here. You understand that? And maybe you have. Maybe there are people who consider you to be the most foolish person in the world during this great, terrible pandemic to ever come inside a building with other people and risk your life. I just want to say, if you're here, what you have done is noteworthy 
and good. It was not wrong or foolish or in any way insignificant. If you really believe you're here today because God would have you be here today, then God bless you. God bless you. I would exonerate you if I could from all double dealing, all double thinking. Anybody else who says, what? You went to church again? What's that little cough you have? Whatever they do, you're here. You're here. There are fellow believers gathering together under a certain amount of duress in other places. Where we live, we're... Where we're not in fear of anybody coming to our doors saying you're breaking this or breaking that. We are here, just a handful of us. But you see, I want to say to you, what you've done is noteworthy and good. Second word, exonerate, celebrate now. I rejoice in what you've done. You know, I spent a couple of weeks just preaching to an empty room. Joe was here, Hannah was here, Linda was here. It's just what we needed to have singing and, and have somebody running stuff. And, and we had, uh, Keith was here running the sound. And, you know, I'd much rather preach to you. I even had myself faked out, thinking, well, that's not so bad. That's not so bad. I just imagine the congregation out there and I can get enthusiastic when I look at the camera. And some people at home could say, boy, it was just like we were sitting right there. But you know, the truth of it is, Gee, do I like you being here. I can read your faces here. I can get feedback here. I can feel like there's, there's others with me that are sharing together the truth of God and have worshipped together. I rejoice in what you've done. This is what we can say to a believer who's actually taken whatever kind of stand for Christ that has gotten them into some kind of trouble with somebody. And you as one of Christ's own can say, I rejoice and I notice what you did. I notice how you handled that situation at work. I noticed you know, how you conduct yourself at school. I rejoice as a fellow believer in seeing the persistence and the courage and, the, and just the knowledge of God's call upon your life that your actions have demonstrated. I rejoice in what you have done. I see Christ in you, and I delight in seeing the way you represent him. Oh, what a thing to say to somebody. And then commemorate. You could say, what you have done will live on after you're gone. That's a little bit more of a stretch if they've just taken out the garbage for somebody. You don't say, yeah, but that was, that was a menial task. And you didn't have to do it, but you did it simply because it makes things better around here. And maybe somebody else made fun of you for, uh, for doing some menial little thing. Well, it will live on after you're gone because your deeds have established a testimony and it's a story I will continue to tell. What a way to deploy your long coming hope that you and other believers will someday in the presence of God be vindicated and every single thing you did, even if you were jumped on it by the unbeliever, will be recognized for what it really is, a God-honoring, 
Christ-helping thing. Now, if you've ever received words like that, you know how those words encouraged your heart. And they help you maintain the very lifestyle which prompted them. What a way to deploy our hope of heavenly vindication in our everyday life. Do you think Jesus ever did that? Would Jesus be the kind of person who would want to deploy his personal hope of vindication? Was Jesus ever going to be vindicated? What did the chief priest call him? A blasphemer. A false prophet. They even got so far they said he was possessed by the devil himself. Has anybody ever accused you of being possessed by the devil? You'd like to get that off your record, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, I heard about you. Somebody went to school with you last year. They said, man, you are just weird. You might even be demon-possessed. You'd like to get that off your record. You'd like to be vindicated. You'd like to be identified, exonerated for who you truly are. Jesus carried an incredible load of accusation. Has he been vindicated? Has he been exonerated? Has it come to where there's no doubt any longer but that he is a a servant of the living God and is not filled with the devil at all? What was the one thing, the biggest thing that, that God acted on Jesus Christ's behalf to exonerate him and vindicate him and demonstrate that he truly was the Son of God in whom the Father was pleased. He rose from the dead, yes. He died on the cross, and and being crucified could have actually demonstrated he was exactly what these people said he was. The Jewish leaders found him worthy of death because he's a blasphemer. The Roman government went along with them and and killed him like you would kill the most... uh, horrible of criminals. And so when he went into that tomb, he went into that tomb, some would say as the king of the Jews, others would say as a criminal who belonged to have his life taken. And to have his life taken in the most horrible way possible. That was still in the air when he went into the tomb. But when he rose from the dead, God does not raise hardened criminals and evil, demon-possessed individuals from the dead in power and glory. God the Father demonstrated by raising, rising Jesus from the dead that he was, in fact, the Son of God. He was exactly the one that he said he was. Jesus knew the Father was going to do that, didn't he? He had the hope of resurrection. He said, if I lay down my life, I will what? I will take it back up again. The resurrection was no surprise to Jesus, but he had to wait three days for it. And in some ways, he had to wait 33 years for it to get out of this fallen, frail human body he was in and be glorified. But that hope was out there. 
That truth was out there. There's coming a day. There's coming a day. I will pay for the sins of the world and then I will be resurrected and demonstrated to be the Son of God and Savior of the world that I am. So knowing that was out there, do we see Jesus ever deploying that hope in his everyday life the way that I'm suggesting we might deploy that hope in our life? But let's read a scripture. Here we go. Our spirit, scriptural example is found in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to 12. And just listen as I read. We're not going to scroll it by you. Just listen. Close your eyes, maybe, and just picture this story. It's familiar, but try to picture it in a way where every detail sort of just grabs you and, and let the Holy Spirit just inspire your imagination to enter into the scene. Here we go. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6. While Jesus was in Bethany, this is almost to the end of his earthly ministry. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price in the money given to the poor. He jumped all over. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. 2,000 years later, we're telling it. We're still telling it. We're picturing it. So let's just walk through this story now in light of today's lessons. These four key words can lead us through. The first one, a new word for us, castigation. To castigate. To accuse. Even to vilify. To mock. To find unworthy. Castigation. The disciples said, why this waste? Well, when somebody tells you you've just wasted something, those are, that's a harsh indictment. Especially if you thought you did something that was worthwhile or you used your money for a, a worthy cause and, and people say you just wasted it, threw it away, made a stupid, ignorant decision. That's what the disciples said about her. Why didn't they get thrilled that she was so honoring their Savior? Why didn't they see that, uh, why didn't they say, man, I wish I had some perfume. I'd like to pour some on him too. But instead, their, their sinful, fallen nature erupted and they see what she's doing and they deride her for it. What a waste. 
And the Bible says that came from Jesus' own disciples' lips. Castigation. That woman must have been crushed. Maybe she was thinking, however she got a hold of a bottle of perfume that was that valuable, she certainly didn't just say, oh, I'd like, to, I'd like to do something for Jesus. Let's see, what do I got here? Uh, let's see, I could bring us some crackers or maybe he'd like some. No, she went into her home, wherever it was, and she got the most precious thing she had that happened to be a very precious thing. This was not some, some poor working woman. And she brought it to honor him. Obviously, with the best of intentions. And she receives rebuke and criticism and hostile judgment. You just wasted this. Jesus jumps right in and he says, Why are you bothering? Why are you hassling this woman? Heavenly days. Don't you know what you're looking at? You're looking at the most godly, the most committed, the most self-sacrificing human being we've run into in three and a half years. You could have said, would you give me a break? And then he says, she has done a beautiful thing. He exonerated her. She's not wasted this perfume. She's actually enhanced it by pouring it on me and by preparing me for burial. There will never be a jar of perfume again ever elevated to that level of significance. Wasted. She's done a beautiful thing. She has anointed my body for burial. He exonerated her completely. She had to go from chest fallen to being, wow, exactly what I was hoping to do. He recognized it for what it was, demonstrating my love for him, my commitment to him, my, my sense of giving the very best I have for him, they turn that all upside down and he turned that right side up again. He exonerated her. He celebrated her. She did it to prepare for my burial. She has participated in God's plan for man. That's what she's done. She has ministered to me. We can celebrate that. And then commemoration, Jesus goes on to say, what she has done will be told wherever the gospel is preached. I have no doubt this particular deed became the central deed of her entire life. Jesus could have said, and she will inspire many. Everyone will talk about this action on hers, of hers. 
she will inspire others. Don't you kind of sitting right here right now sort of wish that Jesus was sitting right here and you had a jar of very, very expensive perfume? <laughs> if we all had our jars, would we line up and say, hey, let's take numbers and, and honor him, anoint him, and just show him how much we love him? Wouldn't you want to do anything if it was really Jesus in the flesh right here in front of you? Would you loan him your brand new car if he needed it? Well, sure you would. Would you turn over your house to him for a week or two if he needed a place to be? See, this woman captured all of that. And Jesus celebrated it. While others were decrying it and mocking it. And see, you and I might run into situations where people are serving Christ with a pure heart, where people are doing things that are honoring to God, and those standing around are making fun of them, are mocking them, are considering them to be foolish, considering them to be wasting their time. And if you have a chance, you step into that situation and you say, you are not wasting your time. What you have done is noteworthy. What you have done, I rejoice in seeing, and I commend you for it. What a role that we can play. So then, we'll just end with this. Here we have a three-step strategy for deploying this hope. Well, all we have to do is state them, because the Bible story tells us how it works out. But here's the first one. Look. Look for the sincere deed that results in criticism. Keep your eyes open. And you know the first step is, be sure you are never one of the disciples who says, what a waste. Don't ever be caught up in that. What a waste. No, you be the one that says, what a, what a sacrifice. What a godly thing. What a Christ-honoring thing. I can see this person's heart in what they did. I can see the value of what they did. And speaking as one who knows the Lord, I will honor them for having done it. But look, be aware. As you and I know, there are fellow believers all around today taking it on the chin just because they believe in biblical truth, just because they believe in doing a, a, a good job on their job, working with all their heart as under the Lord. And they're considered to be foolish for showing up early, foolish for staying a little late, foolish for doing the very best that they can do when everybody else knows you can get away with a whole lot less than that. You look for those people. And whenever a believer is taking it on the chin, when they actually have done well in the eyes of God, you step in and let your mouth be God's mouth to say, well done. Well done. Because there's coming a day when God himself will say to that person, well done. And you can, you can help that hope stay alive in that person's heart by just giving that encouragement 
right now. So look for it. And then as you see people doing the things they're doing around you, see the deed through the eyes of the Spirit. How does God look at this? That's the question. How does God look at what was just done here? Look through Jesus' eyes. Look through the eyes of the Spirit. Look through the principles of the Scripture. And and when you find someone who is upholding the very principles of God and yet being ridiculed, criticized for it, that's a moment. That's a moment you've been looking for. And then, number three, you, you step in. You affirm. You affirm the person warmly and sincerely. Even applaud them. And you might, you might do it right in front of the very people who criticize them. That's what Jesus did. His disciples were still right there, having passed judgment on this woman. And he said, quit bothering her. You might need to have the courage. If you have the courage, you might not have to wait till you just have the person one-on-one. Wait till you have them one-on-one. That's better than not doing anything at all. But there might be a time where the courageous thing on your part, depending on where you're standing in the situation is, to say, would you let them alone? What they did was incredible. What they did was sacrificial. What they did was to actually benefit you. Good grief. Quit bothering them. Let them alone. What they've done has been worthwhile. We should all be doing that. And then say to the person, well done. I saw it. I rejoice in it. And uh, I'll probably be telling other people about it. See, that's all part of putting to work things that actually bring some Christ-likeness out of us. And it'll pay dividends to everyone involved. But the final thought does say this. We need to be ready. Applauding the castigated takes real courage. It takes courage to say, would you let them alone? I don't know why you're giving them such a hard time. What they did and are doing is is admirable. Is admirable. Applauding the castigated, however, means there's a bunch that have already formed a negative opinion about what was done, and you're going to have to stand against that. And it takes some courage. But there are coming a day, there's coming a day when the Heavenly Father gathers untold millions of believers in front of him and we give an account of ourselves and God gives an evaluation when I think for many, many, many believers there'll be times when God says, it took guts to do what you did there. It took courage to step into that situation and honor someone who was serving Christ as opposed to uh, just lining up with those who were condemning. There's a lot of points scored for spirit-given courage. And we need it. We need it. 
It might be a college student standing up and just saying, this is what, there are some rights and wrongs. There are some universal principles in the world. It's not all just whatever somebody wants it to be and just be mocked by the rest of the crowd, including the professor. It takes courage for that student to say that, and it takes courage for another Christian in the room to stand up and say, I agree with him. I agree with him. And God notes it. God notes it. But how wonderful it is when, when we who do something like that feel some affirmation right here in this life. And it energizes us to keep right on going. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of your son just in this one story this morning. He saw this woman's heart and he recognized how harshly the world can treat people. How cruelly, how unfairly to cover their own lack of uh, service. Even to him, they had to mock the person who was serving him. Father, we're all flawed. Our human nature pops out in with words of complaint and words of criticism regularly. Forgive us. But, oh, Father, I thank you for the people who've come along in my life from time to time to time who have just stepped in on your behalf and said, Mark, you're doing well. Just continue in it. Even if other people don't understand it, even if others around you don't support it, you keep doing it for it's the right thing to do. And oh, Father, if we get the chance to be, if we get the chance to be the spokesman to encourage a fellow believer in this way, may we not shy from it, but may we build one another up, even as the scripture says, encourage one another daily, if possible. And so we ask for this. We know there's coming a day when you will evaluate us, but Father, that, that hope of the future can help us just act upon it right now and be the encouragers of those who maybe can't wait a hundred years. They need a word right now that will restore hope in their hearts and give courage uh, to them as they go through this world. So bless us all, guide us. May we be encouragers to one another, and, and may we be just uh, your people. Open our eyes to the situations coming this week. Help us to see. Help us to respond in ways that, that pattern Jesus himself and that honor him. We ask it in Jesus' name. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.